HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you're listening to Speaking Broadly, a podcast on Heritage Radio Network, where I interview outstanding individuals and learn about their challenges and successes as they go about their lives and careers. Today, my guest is a wine blogger from Washington, D.C., Julia Coney. Welcome, Julia. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show for so many reasons, Uh, but I wanted to start with the reason that I found you, which is that you wrote a Facebook post about an article written by Karen McNeil, and she was talking about the, uh, the glass ceiling that women faced. And you read that piece, and Karen talked to 50 women. She showed photographs of 36 women. And no one in the photographs, nor in the 50, was a woman of color. And this really struck a chord with you because of the challenges in diversity in the wine industry, and many, many industries, and you took to Facebook. I found that post. I wanted to talk today about wine, your expertise in bubbles, and also this, God, I hate to use the word challenge because it's so much more than that, the, the, the racism within this industry and how to combat it. So it's going to be a fun show. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I just, I want to talk about how you fell in love with wine, because I want to start where your passion was in this industry. Well, for me, I don't come from a wine family. We had soda and juice on the table, but in my early 20s, I worked for lawyers at law firms, and we won a case, and we went out to dinner, and it was a bottle of Camus Cabernet, 
And it was just divine. And I thought, this is what people who like wine really get. This is why you drink <laughs> wine. And Do you remember the year? Do you remember, like, was it that kind of moment? I say it was like, mm, 92, 93, but it was paired with the perfect steak. It, everything just worked. And I just remember thinking, okay, I need to know more about this. And what happened next? Because you, you're a student of wine. I'm a student. Well, I started going to tastings at my local in Houston Specs liquor store. Um, every Friday I would get off work and I'd go try wine and I'd buy wine and I made my own notes. I didn't realize it was a wine journal and I would go, I like this with this. I like th- I don't like this with this. And it was a personal discovery. You know, it's interesting about that. Uh, Danny Meyer from Union Square Hospitality Group, I would watch him in wine seminars and I always find it very difficult to put descriptors to wine. It's just not a, like a talent that I have, nor necessarily an interest, probably because I'm not good at it. And Danny basically said, just put a smile, like a nothing, or a frown. I'm like, that I can handle. And it sounds like that is how you started. Like, did I like it? Did I Didn't like, like it? it? No. Did it go with my dish that I was making? It wasn't anything fancy. It was just going to the store and actually finding a person who took the time, and they just walked me through the aisles and say, try this. And I would try something new every, every week. That, and then within that, um, I know that you have a passion for champagne. But is that a long-held passion? Like, was the, what were the first wines that you connected to beyond the Camus? The first, the Loire Valley. And that became from traveling in France. And I wanted something to go with a Niswa salad because that was my favorite thing to have in France at a bistro. And I started getting into Loire Valley. I was into champagne, but not really, really into champagne. As I knew about the brands, and it was just like, okay, okay, it's really great. And it took me really, when I decided to do wine, to delve into champagne and visiting champagne in 2016. That made me go, okay, this is different. So... I, I love hearing about your um, your family's reaction to your wine passion. Like you actually travel with a wine suitcase. Yes. I've seen it. It's red and has a little sticker that has a wine glass on it. Because <laughs> so, it's fragile. Cause, right. So what's the, what's the story behind that? Like when did you start traveling with your own wine? Because I got tired of things bursting in like, <laughs> you know, you wrap it in a towel, you wrap it in the clothes. And finally I decided to vote, devote a suitcase to it in... That's why I have a wine suitcase. But you send it ahead to, to uh, places. Like if you're going home, you send your wine ahead. Or I check or it with it. Or I bring it. it. Because where my mom lives in Louisiana, a very small town, they don't really have like a lot of wines. I'll buy things, bring them with me, bring something to have. But I'm the only person outside of my husband and my aunt who actually drinks wine. And how, how does, have you exposed your mom to wine? Yeah, she thinks it's all just the same. It's all red. It's all white. She doesn't get it. She's like, uh, it's okay. No, thank you. I'll stick to water. <laughs> but you you um, showed her the movie Psalm. Yes, I made her watch Psalm, Psalm 2, Into the Bottle, A Year in Champagne, A Year in Burgundy, A Year in Port. Uh, so she watched all the wine documentaries with me. And she is the one of the catalysts besides my husband that told me to do wine. And just because she saw how passionate you were. Yes, and then she saw all the bottles at the house. <laughs> how many bottles do you think you have? Uh, that can be seen or like this? Or <laughs> Some are being stored. So probably in the closet might be a little upwards of 75 to 100 in the closet. But you've traded some things off, I've right? traded some things off. Like no skirts, but now bottles. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. 
I, I, I reduced my clothing to allow to store wine. That's a, an unusual choice. Well, yeah, I mean, I can get more clothes, but some of the wines are like what I call my unicorns. They're, they're small. You can't really find them in the U.S. Uh, I picked them up on travel, so I need to store them properly. So that's why I took up the closet space. So what, are, what are your unicorn wines? It's a few champagnes, um, a few Amarones, uh, Barolos, a couple of Burgundies from small producers that you just can't get in the U.S. So I hunt them down when I travel and bring them back. So you've been a blogger for a long time. You're like an early, early beauty blogger. Early, early. March 2006. Wow. So that was such a different time. (laughs) Totally different. What was that like? It was exciting because I thought I was the only person writing and obsessed with beauty until I discovered a different tribe of ladies who I'm actually still very, very good friends with. So what are the commonalities between like beauty blogging and wine blogging? They're the same. It's passion. It's one of those things that some food bloggers, wine bloggers, we all have that passion, beauty bloggers, and you just want, you want your tribe. So it's finding the people that you commune with based on the love of the same subject. So for wine... You know, everyone has their first gateway wine. That's what I call it. Everyone has a gateway wine, just like everyone has a gateway beauty product. Or every, that's what we call it. It's a gateway. Wow. What was your gateway beauty product? Oh, Chanel Number no. 5. My grandmother wore Chanel Number no. 5. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So that's, that's my gateway. That was my gateway beauty product. And my gateway wine was Camus. Well, that's a really good gate to go through. That's like <laughs> gates of heaven, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just ended up in a really good, good place there. And, um, so in the wine industry, as you said, uh, you know, responding to Karen McNeil's piece, she sees a glass ceiling, you see a glass box. Yes. Uh, tell me what that feels like, what that, what that means to you. Like when you say that, what does that mean? When I say a glass box, that means in 99.9% of the circumstances, so wine tastings, wine events, I may be the only person of color. I may be the only African-American person at a master class seminar tasting. If it's a hundred people in the industry, I might be the only one or we're less than, we're less than 10%. And how does that make you feel? At times very sad. And it's, I'm sad and I feel isolated. So where some people you see a community is very hard. It's not as welcoming as most people think. And I've heard you, you've said that you've, you know, gotten shut out, elbowed away, which women also are shut up. But mm-hmm. you're, as you said, you're, imagine that happened every single day. Every single time, imagine someone saying to you, you look like the help. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I can't um, begin to absorb the things that people have said to you, mistaking uh, your presence for not being a serious wine taster. Do you want to just uh, share what some of those examples are? I know you're working on a piece. I'm working on a piece, but it is things, they, the look of you you are in the wrong room, asking if you're in the wrong room, because I'm, I look fairly young for my age, and I walk in, and I'm, a, you know, we're professionals, you, and they're, you don't see, they're not used to seeing me. They're not used to seeing someone who looks like me. So they don't know what to say. So I, it's, we can be pretty darn sure it shouldn't be. Excuse me, you look, I think you're you look, in the wrong room. I think you're in the wrong. Yes, that's yeah, that happened in November. 
and um, and also I I think you've talked about some of the um, negative assumptions about African American wine tastes. Yes, uh, I was at a restaurant once in D.C. recently, um, and I asked for the wine list, and he went, "Let me tell you about our sweet wines." Yeah, yeah, and I just politely say, "Can I get another get another server?" <laughs> I just. <laughs> I just want I just want the wine list, and I understand there is a market to African Americans that they do drink sweet wine, and the assumption in a lot of establishments is they're not serious wine drinkers; they only want sweet wines. Let me show them the dessert wine list. Right, so they think they're being hospitable, and they're not, and they're, it's really hostile. It's really hostile. Right, it's not listening. It's not responding. I mean, your your enthusiasm for wine is so clear and uh does it ever feel hard to keep going in this arena where you're either you know invisible or treated as if you're the help until they know you're not it's frustrating um I have a really good strong personality and disposition so for me I I will be sarcastic but I the reason that the piece resonated with me because the women she was talking to walk in and people see gender. I walk in and you see race. Or you, and have, or you have double. You're, race. Then you see gender. But race always precedes. So that is always going to precede. So I'm judged based on that. Okay. So we have to move <laughs> into the, like, so, um, you know, how how do we change that? Who Who are your peers? Have you collected a group of friends who are diverse or are you uniting your friends who are african-american to be more present like what do you feel like is yeah like there's there are groups of course like you know i'm part of a group on facebook and um it's created by a friend of mine and it's called black wine lovers and we talk about that but we talked about industry things and we also there's people in the industry and they talk about what they go through and they're able to say what happened to them in a safe space because sometimes you need to be able to vent and not be judged. It's very, it's very hard. You know, I, the article received a lot of, okay, we need to battle this, but I had some people feel like, hey, you attacked Karen. You had the, the haters. The- the, well, it was like they felt violated. And I said, but I, if you come from my perspective, how do, am I violating her? Like, I said, I love her. That is the first wine book I bought when I decided to study wine. I tell most people now, if you want to study wine, buy the wine Bible. Right. It's, it's a great book. It's right. a, it's, she is a voice in this industry and is well deserved. So it's not, it was just after so many months of being disrespected and just seeing this piece and flipping through mainstream media, you know, in all aspects, in seeing in the hospitality world the problem. Right. You, you're um, kind of amplify on this, but no African-American wine writers or few. Very few. Very few very who few. are represented. And um, the same for sommeliers, the mm-hmm. same for uh, winery owners. Yes. And... There are, one can attribute this to many different things, but to what do you attribute the lack? No awareness. No person in the room maybe saying, hey, let's lo- use Google. 
Maybe we should research a little more. I mean, you can vet through research. It just takes maybe a little effort. That's all. Or, or maybe not. You know, you, you can use Google and find the prominent. The prominent. Uh, yes. Professional. African-Americans. Even, even in who are social media. To, you can right. use social media to find and vet a person, you know, to really say, maybe let me check them out. They're in this city. They're over here, you know, and there are a lot of African-American psalms. There are a lot of people who want to be writers in this industry and change the face of media. But if you never get a chance, how is that going to change? Right. If, you, if you're never in the room. If you're never in the room. Or there isn't someone who's in the room trying to f- help change the room. Right. So I, of course, you know, <laughs> live and existed in media for so long, and this is my, you know, current form of media, and I um, feel it very deeply when we talk about this, having been in the room, because it was my room, and uh, thinking, you know, what didn't I do? What could I have done? And we, you know, we it's not as though the issue didn't come up. We just came up with the wrong answer. You know, we didn't find the right people to write um, or the people to highlight. And I think that um, every it's beholden on all of us to share the voices. Mm-hmm. This is my, this is now my current ability to share the voice and share the love. But I think that we, we each have the opportunity Right. I have the opportunity that's on radio, but I also have the opportunity on social. I have the opportunity like in every single day of my life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's important in every day of my life. Not, not that I have a magazine brand, but each of us has a voice to share the voices of others who are different from me, more diverse, and get them in at least my room. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned some people who I didn't know, and I thought they would be great people to to talk about because that's how it happens. That's how it happens. So I want to share some of the people who you are really excited about. I'm excited about you, so we'll start there. Um, <laughs> I am excited about Ashton Berry. She is a beverage and wine director here in D.C. I mean, New York, um, at um, Ari's Champagne Parlor. Oh, I love Ari. Um, so Ari um, was on the show. She's there, and I'm excited about her. Um, there is, I will have to grab my phone, but I know there's Maya Parish. That's a psalm in Colorado. There are, um, I can't think of her name in Florida, but like we have importers. There are distributors like Larry Boone Selections is a black importer. And what does he import? Spanish wines. That's most people might not know that. And, you know, he 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 has a great selection. So it's it's research. It's not that hard. And I think like for me, like when I discover somebody, because a lot of when you look at think of, you know, black sommeliers and black people in media and black people in the hospitality is just the ones, you know, from maybe being on TV or things like that. But if you just research and just think outside the box. And that comes from maybe having somebody, you know, copy editor, regular editor, just saying, okay, let's do something different. Because if you look at most 30 under 30 lists, 40 under 40, it's all kind of vanilla in most of, <laughs> <laughs> most of the industry. But it's also, we're in, we're in an industry too, where it's almost like an ageism thing too. So because you never see a 50 over 50 list. It's true. It's, it's, a, it's, it's you, you Let's get that list going. I know we've got we have so many isms to combat <laughs> to, to here. To combat, yeah, that, um, you know, and you're not hitting the the fifty over fifty, or 
under 50. Yeah. But, you know, it is that triple threat of uh, age, race, sex. Age, race, sex, yes. But, but how you, do we change that? But you have a voice. So that's what I think is the most... Uh, yes. Is the most beautiful thing. And also, uh, you know, shedding light on others. That's that um, connecting, mm-hmm. which I think is how the ball gets rolling. In wanting to write for uh, publications, yes, you are now you now have the opportunity potentially to write for some. Just want to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. and wine enthusiasts. And wine enthusiasts. Yes, I'm talking with wine enthusiasts. So, in to get the voice out there, see somebody that looks like me. But uh, with some, you know, they reached out mm-hmm. and they're like, "Hey, that piece was really interesting. Why don't you send us some ideas?" Mm-hmm. And then what happened? And then I sent some ideas that had already been sent. <laughs> I thought that was really, you know, as an yeah. editor, um, you get things over the transom, mm-hmm. and it's hard to vet. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, Although with writing, if they can write and the idea is good, generally that should be okay. Okay. Let's say yes. yes. But not everything works that way. No, yeah. So, um, so the idea that you had sent those and the, and the pitches were as invisible as you were mm-hmm. is, you know, something to think around. Like yeah. how does one um, get seen in the pitches? And I think that what you've done, uh, first of all, in – making your thoughts known mm-hmm. and in a very lovely, generous, but clear and distinct way. You can always have your own voice because you always have your own Facebook social. Mm-hmm. This is to everybody out there. Julia's taken it on herself. <laughs> so this is, this is what I learned from you. Yeah. You know, that you can be heard by not necessarily waiting for that person to see you just to make yourself be yes. seen. And the thing with the blog posts and the Facebook interaction of that, I was not prepared. I wrote it from the heart. I wrote it as a woman who was frustrated. I wrote it as a woman who was angry of just not seeing myself represented in media that I read, in media that I still support. I am a person who still supports print media and online media at the same time. But when you keep seeing yourself not represented, it was almost like I'm going to represent myself because by myself, by myself. <laughs> right. And I'm going to say what I feel and what I believe and how we can change. Like I said, I have hope. But the thing I'm, I tell people all the time from the story is I'm not looking for a handout. I'm looking for a help up. So it's more than just, oh, that was a great post. This, you know, let's share and everything. How are we going to change your perspective? How are we going to now, you know, add someone to a media list that wasn't on that media list? Because if you're not invited into the room, if you're not invited to the table, there is no seat. Right. I love the, the Shirley Chisholm <laughs> quote, which is, if you're not invited, you tell me. It's, I- if, you, if they don't invite you to a seat at a table, bring a folding chair. And my thought is, I'm not bringing a folding chair. You need to invite me because we're now in this generation where everything, you know, we're, we're all interconnected. You know, and if we don't understand what intersectionality is and why certain African-American women have a problem with a lot of what's going on in this world about feminism, which is a whole other story, then we can't, we can't talk. That's, that's the thing. We all need to hear each other's voice and understand, like you're understanding what I'm going through. So you can have that empathy 
that goes with, okay, I don't know what it is, but I can have enough empathy to say, you're feeling this. I am here to support that. What do I need to do? And with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have some action items and also talk about Julia's amazing travels. (laughs) Be right back. Stay with us. Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Welcome back. This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly. And it's my honor today to have as my guest, Julia Coney. Julia. Hi. Hi. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back to both of us. So um, I love that you're optimistic about this notion of uh, what that the world can improve, change, and embrace, right? That is what our aim is here. It's the aim of the conversation. It's the aim of so much of conversation out there that uh, is perhaps more balanced and a little less rageful Mm -hmm. because (laughs) there's a lot of that and I think there's a lot of reasons to feel that way. Um, In your thinking about uh, things that we can do, there's there's different we's when I think about Mm -hmm. it. There's the the we that's the media. So what can the media do? There's the we, like what is my audience of listeners? What can they do? There's the we, what is the, you know, the wine bloggers or the, um, you know, African American women. What can we do? So let's take that from the top. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. We got a big list there. Yeah. Um, so let's start. If we, if we are giving advice to the media, mm-hmm. because, Something that has been very become very clear over time is if you're not in the picture, you in in media, mm-hmm. um, it's very hard to make an impact. And in that Karen O'Neill example that we started with, 36 pictures of white women who were mm-hmm. hitting a ceiling. That was it. There was no representation of um, African American women. So tell me, for the media, like what do you suggest? Research. Okay. I, don't, I think, like I said, Google before, I think if you think of any topic and just think people of color in that topic, it could be wine, it could be food, it, 
It could be travel book. Everything, just Google it. Okay. It will pop up. There is some list of like top <laughs> African American people in wine, top yeah. African American travel bloggers. There is a list somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Now, what about um, tickets and passes and tastings and all of those things? Well, the tastings, like those come from a lot of public relations uh, companies, and those go to select few. But it's also if you know somebody may be interested, like a person received that, and you say, hey, I can't go. Or I would like that person. Pass it along. Do an e-intro saying, hey, I think this would be a great person that you that needs to be on your media list. So expanding the media list expanding is a, the me- media great, list. a great thing. And also from the PR side, because the PR feeds into the media feeds side. Feeds into the media so side. So the, if the PR people aren't sort of in this loop, mm-hmm. um, a lot of opportunities are missed. Are missed. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then talking about it from uh, the listeners, right? We've got mm-hmm. a lot of people listening. So what is it that, uh, in addition to research, because mm-hmm. we're going to start there. Um, <laughs> so what is it that any individual who doesn't have the power of media, what can they do? Just, I would say, listen and have empathy for another person's whatever they're going through. And just don't take it as they're always complaining or they're, they're just because, you know, as black people, we get a lot of that. Oh, they're always complaining about race. They're always complaining about race. But if you look at the history of racism in this country, we're not that far from removed from Jim Crow and segregation. So we're not complaining. It is a systematic issue that is happening in this world, especially in the United States. So just just listen and also be open to think something differently than what you want to feel. When you talk about how close we are to Jim Crow, mm-hmm. it, it is stunning. It's stunning. Uh, and when we were talking about your family, um, can you just tell me a little bit about your, because you have a fascinating family. <laughs> I'd love to yeah. hear, I'd love the listeners to hear a little bit about your um, your grandmother and your Well, my grandmother became a midwife because black women couldn't deliver babies in a white hospital. And this is Leesville, Louisiana. And so I grew up having babies all the time, you know, (laughs) around because we went every weekend to help my grandmother because she was there delivering babies because that was that was just the way it is. And if I am 45, so that means I remember this. (laughs) It's not that long ago. No. And my father was the first black U.S. Marshal for the Southern District of Texas. And my mom is like, you can't even imagine what he went through to become that. So when you think about the challenges that you have, and we'll get back to solutions, mm-hmm. but um, when you compare them or you think about them in the context, perhaps a better way to mm-hmm. say, of your family, like, how do you feel about that? Well, now I feel like the torch is being passed in a certain sense that I didn't expect. And I also feel like what I'm going through about a tasting in a media list compared to what they went through is nothing. But it is still but it's extremely still something. important. It's very important. It's what you live every, every day. Every day. And it's not something you should have to live every day. No. Particularly since, you know, you've there's been a lot of, in theory, there's a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. In yeah. theory. In theory. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and so we did media, PR, listeners. And what about the um, your friends? Your friends in the industry, the, the wine world, or the African-American... Wine world is what is there that um, how can you help make change? Well, what I'm doing for me is if I get invited to something, I will try to bring another person along 
person that looks like me. <laughs> I want them because now they're on that list. And my goal is that they eventually bring someone else as well. And it's so far in D.C., it has been really, really great to have like my community and introduce them and try to make things happen for them as well. Because I don't I don't want to do this by myself. I want to bring my friends along, too, and people who I respect. And so they they they're blogging. They're not even on the list. And they some of them have been blogging longer than me. Right. You you um, became a wine blogger sort of exclusively uh, just two years ago, two years ago. And. I know you did it because it's a passion, mm-hmm. but how have you enjoyed being a wine blogger? I love it. You love it. Every day. Yeah. I, I study something with wine every day. I read a lot of wine books. I, I sit at my dining room table with like a notepad and a journal and take notes. I have notebooks on different regions. Um, what's really helped, I work at a wine store um, in Washington, D.C. Shout out to Wardman Wines. Um, they have been like family They've embraced me. Um, they let me have my quirks and my, <laughs> like, I want to get this wine in. And I'm on the tasting bar a lot. And, you know, it, in working at a wine store, you get interesting people as well who not used to seeing a black woman suggesting wines to them. And what's that like? They're like, well, the same thing <laughs> you say to a racist server. You're like, what is, has that been uncomfortable at all or... Well, there, there's times that people walk past me and they're like, no, that's the wine person. She she can help you in there. They do a double take. Or, you know, a few weeks ago, somebody walked out the store. <laughs> yeah, she. I guess she didn't believe, like, I was the one person that was going to help her with the wine for that moment and she walked out the store. That was kind of funny. Yeah, it's yeah. good. To, it's yeah. really good to have a sense of humor about that. <laughs> you have to. That At not... one point, you just got to laugh. But overall, people come in and, you know, I am on the, they look for me now. You know, if I'm not there, they're like, where's Julia? You know, she didn't leave, did she? And, and I really, really enjoy it. I really, make, you know, my, my goal is when they come in, they, they, they pick a wine, and when they leave, they're very, very happy, and they come back in, and they want to say, hey, I tried something. What do you suggest? I want to try something new. That's my job. Right. You're, you're building this community of, like, happy drinkers. Happy drinkers, You know, yeah. people who want to come back for more, t- taste more of your recommendations. Mm-hmm. Because what I don't want to get lost in this um, really – phenomenal conversation about you know how to be more present is the reason you should be present and in the room is you're really knowledgeable and you've studied and you've tasted and you've traveled and you've read yeah. you know and that's like at the heart it's that you've earned it I've earned it and i I always like to say I've been to a lot of wine regions most people who work in the wine industry haven't been to. Oh, tell me some. Where? Well, like um, I just recently went to Verona, to Valpolicelle, and like Champagne. I know people who like talk about Champagne. They drink Champagne. And they're like the uh, Champagne expert. They've never been to Champagne. And, you know, when I say, oh, I've been to Champagne, it was like, oh, you have? Yeah. And... but it's it's a passion of mine. So for me, I want to see where something, the, the origins, right? So I, when I, now I'm doing the Loire Valley, and so I have the Loire Valley stuck in my head. So it's like next year, the Loire Valley, that's, that's going to be the place to go for a couple of weeks to just really just immerse myself in the Loire Valley. That, I'm a student first. I just, I like research. I like knowledge and I like studying. That's the one thing I like about wine. It's always changing. It's always fascinating. Every glass is different from the same bottle. It changes from year to year. It changes. Why is it changing? What's the, what, you know, what did they put in it? Did they take anything out? That's what I love. And it's history. Wine is history in a glass. So 
if you're trying to help someone become a better wine student, mm -hmm. um, what would your curriculum for them be? If you buy wine every week, I would say buy a different wine every week. Take a photo of the label. Yeah, <laughs> I can never remember. I'm like, you can never what remember. What year was it? And, and with smartphones, I actually tell them to create an album of every store they visit in their city and put that label there because every store sometimes sells something different. So people will say, well, I bought this wine and I can't remember what store and we may not have it, but they bought it from another store. So I like to tell them, create an album, take a photo and drink something different because everyone has a habit. We all like to, we all would drink the same thing every day if we could, because that's just creatures of habit. Uh -huh. But I, I, I'm actually the opposite. Like, Oh, okay. I always drink something different, but mm -hmm. that's not a good thing because I, you know, it's like, Oh, that was really good. What was that? I can't remember because I'm always drinking something, <laughs> something different. different. <laughs> so I could I could benefit yeah. from s some stasis in my and wine choices. And I also tell but. people take intro classes and find a good wine store. Find a good wine store where somebody wants to, you know, you can keep coming back and you know their name and they're recommending and they can actually pull up, hey, did you buy this last time? And that's one of the things that I tell customers that come in the store. Like, let's let's see what you like. Like, what do you also, what do you like to eat? I always tell people, what do they normally eat? And I work, the store I work at has a few restaurants. So I always think like the restaurants around there, this will go with this. Or I ask them, they have to go thing. What did you get? What did you get? Because <laughs> so you see them looking for wine and they have a bag. I'm like, what did you get? No, it's like, oh, well, I got this salad. I'm like, oh, this is a great wine to go with that salad. Okay. So what do you, um, because salad is notoriously difficult to pair, right? You've got yeah. the acidic vinaigrette. You've got the, like the leafy greens. Um, so what's your go-to for salads? My favorite salad is if it has beef, I like a Rioja. I really like a Rioja or I like a bone dry Riesling. If it yeah. does, if it has chicken or seafood in it, I like those. Um, I always like a, a, a brute uh -huh. Anything brute with fried foods, mm. anything brute with fried. Lots and of explain bubbles. to everybody what brute means. Basically, Sugar content, if you want to just say, that's the easiest way to say it in layman's terms, sugar content. I like, um, you, know, you know now everything's fried chicken and champagne pairing. So I just tell people you don't do fried, fried po' boys. Just think of a shrimp po' boy, oyster <laughs> po' boy. Champagne is one of those really, really, really great things that go with it. If you can't afford champagne, always look for a cava. I like cavas a lot. Which would be a sparkling wine from sparkling Spain. Sparkling wine, yes, Spain. from Spain. Um, so those are like my really, really go-to. Like, uh, I'm really hooked on Chenin Blancs right now. Chenin Blancs are my jam. Really, Chenin Blancs, a lot of them from South Africa are my jam. So give me a name or two for people to... Kapschik. K-A-A-Z-P-I-C-H-T. It's wow. one of my favorite. That's a hard thing to say. Yeah. It is my favorite Chenin Blanc right now. Like I That and the Reimhut. Um, <laughs> R-E-M-H-O-O-G-T-E. Honey Bunch, Chenin Blanc, those are the two from South Africa. Yeah, I'm drinking a lot of those right now, even though it's cold. And what about the value on this? I always thought that South African wines, you know, ended up being more pricey. Well, um, these run between $15 and $20, yeah, $25. Not bad. Not, not bad. bad. Yeah. Now, I know that you really love your wine with your food, um, yeah. right? Yeah. You're not just swirling the glass and like, oh, it smells really good, and I'm just going to have it on its own. Uh, you're all about the pairing. I'm all about the pairing. And why is that? Well, after studying abroad in France, they don't really 
just chug a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> wine goes with food. Yeah. Even in Italy, Italy the same way. Wine goes with food. So I'm always thinking about what do I want to taste with this wine because I like to I like enjoy food. I like cooking a lot. So for me, when I'm home and not on the road, I like to cook and I like to pair things. So that's where a lot of the pairing comes from. Okay, so at Food and Wine, mm-hmm. the great wine, executive wine editor there, Ray Isle, he's still there. He yeah. used to say, and I really liked this, that um, 10% of pairings were terrible, mm-hmm. 10% of pairings were genius, and 80% of pairings were like, it's fine, don't sweat it. And I like the idea of not sweating the pairings because, like, you know, I like drinking what's around and I like, you know, eating. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I feel if you like it, drink it. Right. So don't worry too much. Not really. If it's not your jam, just if you like it, it makes you happy, just drink it. Because otherwise things get lost and people feel like, well, I'm not... I don't get the notes that you got, and I don't understand. <laughs> I don't smell the soil. I don't taste the berries. It's fine. Just drink what you like. <laughs> At the end of the day, just drink what makes you happy. And if you want a pair like red and white, I'm not that big of a stickler on that. I just like people trying things new. Uh-huh. Yeah. Getting out of the comfort zone with wine. That's the, that's the hard part. Okay. I think what's interesting here, because we come to comfort zone, mm-hmm. which is actually the crux of the entire conversation <laughs> because your whole job in life could be to get people out of their comfort zone, yes. you know, to mm-hmm. like make a greater change in your personal world, which could be, hey, drink a Riesling if you've never had a Riesling. Mm-hmm. And it also could be like have empathy for someone who really does not look like you, yes. whatever that means to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in, in your life, have you had um, incredible mentors who have taught you how to be in this world and given you sort of that, this incredible life force that you have? First of all, my family, my, my parents, my grandparents, my aunts. I come from a very strong family, very, your voice is something, use it. You have an opinion. I may not agree with it, but you can have it. <laughs> you know, I, I was never stifled as a child. I'm also a Sagittarius. I'm a fire sign. So <laughs> I have a lot of energy with that. And I just, you know, Later in life, after when I started blogging, I felt like I found a voice and I found something that touched other people. And so my goal is at the end of the day, always, I still want to make my mom proud at the end of the day. I still want to make my mom and my aunt proud. I have an aunt who is like a mother to me and their opinion matters. I have nieces and nephews. I want them to look up to me. I want them to know that I am doing something to better the world for them. And their kids, because now they have kids, so <laughs> I'm aunt. So I want to, you know, be a better person. And life is fun. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I can't complain. I mean, I can, but I get to travel the world. I get to drink great wine. I get to meet cool people like you. So, yeah. Well, you're going to make a difference. That's the that's the important thing. And a difference for you, but also for whoever comes, comes after next. me. That's, that's what, whoever comes after me. I don't want any other person to ever have someone tell them, are you sure you're in the right room for the wine tasting? Yeah. In the wine world, are there people who you look to as leaders and groundbreakers who you think the listeners should know about? Dorothy Gator. Dorothy J. Gator is, for me, one of the reasons I know as much as I know about wine from her and John's column in the Wall Street Journal 
my mentor, one of my, my personal one, Kathy, uh, Carrie Lynn Strong in New York. She is a psalm here. She embraced me. She took me in. Where, where is she a psalm? Oh, she left Ariel. I have to think she just went to a new place. She's a psalm. We'll stick with that. Yeah, she's a psalm. And she embraced me when I decided to change careers. And she gave me books I should read. She sat out and took me to lunch and just made me feel very welcome. That is a person that, to me, is really a good mentor for me. And what's the one book someone should read? In Mind life? Book. Well, you love oh, to read. Like, you're, okay. a, you're in a book club, right? I know. I'm not in a book club. Oh, you're just your own book I'm, club. I'm my own book club. I read between 40 and 50 books a year. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. I would say the book everyone should read. You should read anything by Jasmine Ward. Okay. Jasmine Ward. Uh, her, she just won the National Book Award for Sing um, Birds Sing. And she writes about race and culture in a way that is transcendent. She, it will break your heart and it will, you will just be emotional, but she is one of the best, the best living writer I have read wow. in the last 10 years. Okay. Yeah, I'm obsessed with her. I read every one of her books. I've met her at the National Book Festival, but Jasmine Ward, she, she, she really just grips you. Yeah. Well, I have to say this this conversation has been um, gripping for me. I want to thank you for taking oh, the, the time to join me. And um, all of you listeners, if you want to follow Julia on Instagram, you can see the amazing number of bubbles she consumes <laughs> and follow her great travels. And your handle is? Just all my social is Julia Coney, J-U-L-I-A-C-O-N-E-Y.com. And you know where to find me at FW Scout on Instagram and Twitter. And I want to thank David Tattashore, the great engineer, and Carlin Thompson for being just the great, <laughs> the great person that she is uh, and joining me here at Speaking Broadly. So that's it for today. Please uh, take some action to share your listening skills and empathy with others this week. And... Come back next week for another episode of Speaking Broadly. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.